0: Welcome back to Imole, the show where we explore the intersection of mental health and spirituality. I'm your host, Pelumi, and today we have a very special guest joining us. Her name is Nemi Boyo. She's an economist, strategist, and development professional who has worked, studied, and lived in nine countries. She has a keen interest in neuroscience, especially the mind-body connection and its relation to external forces. She loves reading an average of 30 to 40 books a year across various genres and categories, and her other interests include art, music, and martial arts. That's Mai Thai, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Wrestling. Can you just see that she's awesome, guys? So welcome to the show, Nemi Boyu. Welcome Nemi. Hi
1: happy to be here. Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, glad to have you on the show. So today we are going to be talking about setting boundaries as an empath. And an empath is a person who has a heightened ability to understand and experience the emotions, thoughts, and energy of others. They have a deep sense of empathy and can easily tune into the emotions and experiences of those around them, often to the point of feeling absorbed by those emotions as if they are their own. So I have Nemi's an empath guys and I really really would like her to break some things down for us so first of all Nemi let's start with how you grew up and where you grew up like how you were raised your hometown all that stuff
1: um so I I was born in Lagos and I uh kind of grew up between I feel like I, I can say that I grew up between Lagos and Accra because I'm from both um and uh in such a diverse, uh, family with a lot of different cultures. And I feel like I was influenced by a lot of different cultures. And then having parents that traveled a lot and, and I myself having moved around quite a lot, also influenced by a lot of different cultures. And so, um, it was more like, you know, being able to explore the world, explore, just open to exploration, basically. So I had the opportunity to discover what I liked and what I didn't like across a lot of different cultures. And then my parents were strict, but at the same time, there they weren't they weren't micromanagers. so there was that freedom to sort of discover myself and and sort of learn what worked and what didn't work for me. Mm,
0: that's good. So, in your own words, right, what does it mean to be an empath? Because a lot of people who still don't really understand. And I feel like the word is just always being used out of context sometimes. So, what does it mean to be an empath? And what's, what are some of the common challenges that you face as an empath?
1: Well, I would say, just putting it plainly, just the ability to feel with other people. Um, and. It's, it's sort of like, so for one good example is you walk into a room, maybe you're feeling a certain way, you're feeling happy, you're feeling calm or whatever it is. And then you walk into that room and all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed or you feel, you know, whether it's anger or some other extreme emotion that you weren't feeling prior to stepping in. Then you know that, okay, this is not my emotion. So it's basically just absorbing all the energy around you that can be very challenging because sometimes you're you know the the challenge for empaths is being able to differentiate what they're feeling from what the people around them are feeling because you're taking in all of this information and it's not like you're taking it consciously it's all very subconscious so it took a while for me to realize that I was an empath um it was just a wave of so many different emotions all the time. And then when I finally learned what that was all about and why that was happening, then it became sort of a journey to discover how do I manage this? But prior to that, it was definitely challenging, wondering why am I feeling this way? Where is this coming from? What can I do about this? And then you tend to sort of lash out at people or you just get upset for no reason and you're not really sure what to do about any of it.
0: Hmm. So you say one of the major challenges you faced was just like the overwhelming feeling of emotions and not knowing what to do with it or not understanding where it's coming from as a child.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because it's, it's challenging, especially when you don't even know what it is to be an empath. Like that was something, I had no idea what that was or that I was one. I just knew that I was always feeling a lot all the time and you know when people start to describe you as overly sensitive and you start thinking that's an issue but it's really not. It's only an issue when you don't know how to deal with it and how to control it.
0: That's very true. It's only an issue when you don't know how to deal with it but unfortunately people don't even understand what it is or while we're growing up people really didn't understand what an empath was. and you were just weird, kind of, or (laughs) just moody. (laughs) Even if you could pick up on other people's moods, you just felt like you were always moody. I mean, I'm speaking for myself growing up, and I just always felt like, Mm -hmm. why do I feel different sometimes at different times? Or I have this strange feeling that's existing uh, existing around me, and I'll just be like, can you guys feel that something is off? Like, are you feeling... And people are just like, no, 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 no. I can't feel it. (laughs) So you feel weird. I was wrong with me. And then I was just going to ask, like, what was it like dealing with toxic family members and friends, just people in general around you as an empath growing up?
1: I mean, it's definitely not easy because you're upset all the time. So it seems Um, as a kid, you're experiencing a lot of different emotions at once. And then you're, you know, when you're in in getting into that teenagehood um, bit, you're you're going through PMS, permenstrual syndrome for those people who don't know what that is um, and all of that. And that comes with a lot of intensity, hormonal changes. And so you're, you're dealing with emotions because of a lot of different things. And so it's, it's overwhelming, you know? And so what happens, the good thing was the fact that I was very active in sports and art and these are, you know, really great, outlets for someone who just needs to release a lot of tension, a lot of, a lot of um, emotion things like that so it's it's very therapeutic so that was something that I would always sort of gravitate towards more sport more art, more music, more um, reading I love to read, read a lot and just kind of get lost in, in all of that and that definitely helped um, to, to, to some degree but then when you come out of that cave, you still have to face people. You still have to, you know, deal with people in all the different aspects of life that you're facing. So it still boils down to how do I manage all these things that all all, all these messages that I'm receiving um, uh, subliminally and things like that. You just know you're feeling a lot of things. You just you're not really sure how. So, again, it starts to it, it continues to translate into aggression or you know, depression or anxiety or a lot of different things. You just find that your moods are always switching and you're not, it it feels very out of control. Sometimes it's like, okay, I don't know why this is happening because, you know, you're a kid. You're not really sure. You just know you're upset. This person made me upset. You may not even be able to identify why you're upset or why they made you upset. You're just feeling a lot of these different things. Um, but then as I got older, of course, and learned more about, what was going on and why I was feeling certain ways about certain situations and just learning more about myself, then it was easier to be able to manage those emotions and also to be able to identify when you're feeling emotionally safe or emotionally um, uh, vulnerable.
0: Were there people around you, particularly maybe your family or close friendship groups that made you feel emotionally unsafe?
1: Mm, I mean, yeah, there there's always going to be, there's always going to be those groups of people you'll have, especially teenagers, teenagers can be quite mean, um, you'll have, you know, friends who you think, oh, this is my friend, and I confided in you. And then you went and you, you know, you stabbed me in the back, or you did something that you know, would be offensive or hurtful to me. And now you're pretending that, you know, everything's fine. So there was always that. Um, it's interesting how people can be manipulative, whether they mean to or not. Especially with the gaslighting, that, that's something that, till now, I, I definitely get triggered by that. You know, just being for someone to, to to do something and then make you believe that it wasn't it wasn't what happened, or or that you did something that you know you didn't do, and then they're trying to convince you of this reality that, you know, for them it's a reality, but for you, you know, this, this is, this is all made up. Um, so you, you have, you face a lot of that, whether with family, with friends, you, there's always going to be people in different walks of life that will have those narcissistic traits or that would take advantage of you because they know that, you know, you're especially sensitive or, you know, you're, uh, gullible because I was very gullible at the time. And, it's, it's not easy dealing with those people when you don't even know what's happening and you don't even know what the word empath means.
0: True. It's very hard. And I believe that narcissists are very drawn to empaths. And you said gaslighting. Yeah. That's like a very common thing that narcissists do. And that just mm-hmm. means to like make you believe that your reality isn't you know what it actually yeah. is. And they often do that to excuse themselves for the blame of dealing with things that you've done or the consequences that come from things that they've done to you. So it's like they do something. And when you're trying to stand up for yourself, it's almost like, Oh, that never happened. And what actually happened was that you were rude to me. You know, that's just a typical example of what you have. So you yeah. find yourself apologizing <laughs> for what they did yeah. to you without even, and exactly. you just feel like there's something off here. And sometimes you feel like, is this really, is it me? Is it me? Or yeah. is it them? And I know that's something that I often had to do with, like, is this actually me or is it them? So how did you first become aware that these people were narcissists? Like, how did you become aware of narcissism and then, like, start protecting yourself as an empath?
1: Well, reading. You know, honestly, there's a, there's a saying, a quote by uh, Jim Quick. He says that reading is to the mind what exercises to the body. And Reading is something I've always been in. When I was much younger, it was the fantasy novels that I would get into and as a kid and as a teenager. I loved anything that was sort of like Lord of the Rings or anything written by an Blight and things like that. But then as I got older, it was I was drawn a lot towards, you know, neuroscience and that whole mind body connection and things like that. And I would pick up books that had to do with the mind and psychology and the neural pathways in our brain and all, all of those interesting things because I was fascinated by it. And I kept, you know, coming across, uh, you know, heard the term narcissist and I wanted to learn more about that. So I would pick up these books and, and it's, it's, it's interesting because you pick up one and then it leads to another one that's similar to that. And I just got really fascinated with the, with the idea of, of, of what that meant and how, you know, we have people with these tendencies living all around us. And I mean, we all, to some degree, narcissism is on a spectrum. So we all, to some degree, have a level of narcissism, to and to be, uh, I guess, a confident uh, individual. You do have to have a certain degree of it. However, the issue is for those that are on the extreme or the, you know, the extreme end of the spectrum. And the, that's where the issue lies. So learning about that learning how to recognize one. And, and when, when I would read these books, I would sort of, you know, images of, of, of people that I knew would come to mind. And I'm like, oh, this, this definitely describes this person or this describes that person. Or now I understand why they're like this or okay, now this makes a lot of sense. And so you learn a lot about you know, narcissism about what they do, how to identify them, how to deal with them, especially if it's a situation where you don't have a choice, but to sort of be around them, say it's a coworker or a boss or something like that. How do you manage that situation if you can't just leave? And so just learning a lot of these coping strategies and coping mechanisms definitely helped. So yeah, I would say reading for sure. And, uh, it just opened a whole other world. And then um, following a lot of really interesting gurus online. Um, just if you follow Mind Valley at all, it's a really great resource. It opens up to so many of the world's interesting psychologists and scientists and stuff they're working on and all of this stuff. So just really getting, geeking out on that stuff. It, it became sort of a hobby.
0: Mm, that's really good. And um, how have you learned to balance your empathic nature with the need to protect yourself from toxic relationships?
1: Well, it's not really so much about balancing. It's really about embracing, I guess, embracing. Like once you learn, um, there's a book called The Empath Survival Guide. And that that's a really good uh, starter. I would say starter kit um, for anyone who's new to the whole idea. Um, it's really, I, I feel it's really about embracing it because when you're not sure what it is you feel like especially when people throw around you know where it's like oh you're so sensitive and they say it in in a very mocking way you start to feel like it's uh it's um it's it's sort of a weakness but it's it's really a strength when you know how to use it um a strength because you're able to now feel you you, you're when you're not sure about someone you sense certain things about them that if you weren't an empath, you wouldn't have. So you can use that to protect yourself. Okay, this person is this sort of way. They're coming off a certain way. When um, people are pretending around you, pretending to like you, things like that, you see through it because you can feel it, and you know. And it's interesting because you you know you can tell someone next to you, oh, this and that, and they'll say, oh, you're imagining it. But that's because they don't have they don't have that sensitive um, that heightened sensitivity that you have. And it's not, you know, some people may say, oh, this is all hogwash and this is, you know, whatever, but it's, it's really true because you, you would watch it and you'll basically like monitor different situations where your senses always sort of tend to be right about someone. And it's like, oh, okay. And so it's really just embracing it, being okay with knowing, and then being able to learn what information you want to take and what information you don't because basically when you're an empath who doesn't know that you're an empath you're walking around with like imagine just walking around with like there's tons of music playing all around you different um radio systems different sound systems just blasting all different types of music it's noisy it's loud it's overwhelming that's basically how you would feel as an empath that doesn't know that you're an empath it's just so much information that you're taking in all at once and you don't know what to do with it. But once you're able to learn how to manage the information, you can choose what to take in and what not to take in. One of the ways is through meditation. And that's a whole journey. But it's definitely, you know, a really good step learning to center yourself, meditate even long walks in nature, things like that, all these things help ground you. And then you're able to become more aware of what it is that you're feeling and how to manage those emotions.
0: That's good. I always say time alone, going within really helps, trying to silence the external noise, especially when you have um, someone around you that is quite toxic and all the time, you're constantly on the receiving end of that energy. Just being able to get out of them alone for a while and spend time alone and when you notice that when you are by yourself you have more peace i feel like it helps people Or maybe my case it has helped me set a lot of boundaries with people that disrupt Mm -hmm. my peace because you know then you begin to appreciate your peace of mind and your time alone because you're used to it now you don't really fear Mm -hmm. losing the toxic person or the narcissist in your life. So but can you share a specific example of like a boundary violation, just something, it doesn't have to be too personal, that you experienced and how you were able to, or how you weren't able to manage it before you knew how to create boundaries and how you're able to manage it now?
1: It's I can't think of a specific example right off the bat, but I can say definitely situations where, um, You know, people pleasing can be an issue um, or was an issue back then, um, because it's situations where maybe you're expected to do something that you really don't want to do, whether it's a company, a friend somewhere or a family member somewhere that you really don't feel like going to, for example, um, an event maybe. And you know, as an empath, we do need that alone time to recharge and you feel that your batteries are low and you're not ready to 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 go out mingling and and taking in and all that unnecessary information you want to stay in and recharge and just have some me time and um you know that that can be a challenge because then you have to at least for me back then it was a challenge because it was like it was, it was like being faced with people being disappointed that, oh, you're not going to go out. I thought we were going to do this thing and now you're saying this and that. And then you're, you find yourself being forced to, you know, succumb to that pressure and go ahead and do what it is that they're expecting you to do just because, you know, you want to avoid confrontation. You don't want to argue and things like that. But then at the end of the day, you find yourself just doing what everybody wants you to do versus what you need to do for yourself. And that can be, Quite the challenge because it leaves a lot of resentment. You just find yourself feeling very resentful towards a lot of people without, you know, really knowing why you're feeling that way. It's really just because you weren't setting firm boundaries. You should be able to put yourself first because if you're not putting yourself first, then you're living for other people. And the thing is, no matter how much you live for other people, it's never going to be enough. So you have to put yourself first, you know, you're your first priority. That's something that I had to learn. Um, It wasn't easy because the thing is, once you start to put yourself first, especially around people who are used to um, you not doing that, it becomes like a slap in the face for a lot of the people who are used to you because it's like, who do you think you are to, to, to think that you can stand up for yourself now? Like, who do you think you are to say no when, you know, you could never say no before? Things like that. But um, it's definitely an empowering, um, I would say, step because at first it's hard having to deal with that, uh, the challenge that comes with change. But then once people get used to the fact that boundary setting is the new normal with you, they're either going to leave or they're going to um, fall in line. And if they leave, then that's fine. You know that they're not great for uh, your growth anyway so that's how you weed them out
0: true but uh, because guilt tripping tends to come with setting boundaries when you're surrounded by people who you know are manipulated to some extent they kind of make you feel guilty and you know and just like you kind of feel ashamed like let me give you an example of my situation this can seem very mild but it was a big deal to me at that time when I was in uni I had this friend who like to go out back to back, back to back. She had her own thing. And she always wanted me to hang out with her and another friend and just to like travel to different cities and turn up. And sometimes I just didn't want to do it. Sometimes probably I I didn't have enough money. I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. And I also didn't necessarily like her other friend. And she always kind of made me feel guilty. Like, oh, you're not fun. You're not spontaneous. You're not this, you're not that. And then compare me to somebody else or her other friend. And this is why I like her. And it was just very, it was a big thing for me then because obviously I was still a people pleaser and I always wanted to appear a certain way to make people like me. So her telling me that used to always manipulate me to do things that I really didn't want to do. So it's like, how have you managed to effectively handle that guilt tripping and also the self-doubt that can come from gaslighting?
1: Well... Again, starting off, it's it's definitely not easy. There's You're learning about yourself. You're not sure about a lot of different things. Um, there's a lot of self-doubt because you're not even sure of who you are. Um, uh, the guilt tripping, it hits home because you've been programmed to believe that everybody else should come before you. But then, again, the power moment is when you realize that That doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to, you don't have to take the narrative that people are feeding you about yourself. And so it was a thing of learning, making a conscious decision to learn who I was, all of who I was, the good, the bad, the ugly, my weaknesses, my strengths, all of that, to learn about that, really master that because the thing about knowing who you are, all of it. Is that, and nobody can tell you who you are when you're convinced about who you are, and you know very well who you are. No one can come off the streets and say, "Hey, this is who you are." It would be like a joke. It won't even it would not even hit home. It would just be a big fat joke because it's like like really, really. So, get, addressing that self doubt, the best way is to embarking on that journey to discover who you are, and that that that's basically just being aware learning to be aware. And there's so many different strategies strategies that one can use. It's learning to be aware of how you react in certain situations, what upsets you, even the sensory, um, the, the different sensory things that occur within you, um, physiological changes when you're about to get mad or you're about to cry, or just being aware of all of that before it actually, you know, manifests like for everyone to see. Um, learning... All the different things that upset you, however embarrassing or whatever it is, just being aware of that for yourself, because that will help you in so many different situations. Um, When something is happening and you know, okay, I'm about to react in a certain way that may not be, you know, great. So this is where I need to step back and uh, take a a break or take a walk or whatever it whatever needs to happen. And you don't have to explain this to anybody. You just do what you need to do for yourself at that time to mitigate the issue or to just, you know, protect yourself and really just learning all these different pieces about, you know, what makes you, you, it removes, it really does remove self-doubt because now you know who you are and the, the, it sounds, it's easier said than done because embarking on that journey is not a pretty one. It's not pretty because a lot of people shy away from, um, learning about who they are. They shy away from self-awareness because with self-awareness comes accountability. Now you have to be, now that you're aware of these things that you do, that's not great. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Now you have to be accountable for some of the things that you do that's not great. And it's, it's a lot of responsibility and no one wants to deal with that. So people are, you know, people are more comfortable not holding up a mirror and looking into that mirror. They'd rather just, you know, go with whatever it is that they they're telling themselves. But for me, I was like, I'm going to face this. And it wasn't easy. It was a challenge because I had to come to terms with certain aspects about myself. And then once you go through that, then you learn to love those aspects, change what needs to be changed, work on what needs to be worked on and, you know, embrace all of it, really and it's a lot of work so i can see why people shy away from that but that's definitely what helps to address that self doubt because you 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 sort of um blossom into this uh, confident individual because you know who you are um and then uh just being able to um when people come at you a certain way you know how to respond to them because now you're very sure of yourself and another thing that comes with being sure of yourself is you can see how unsure everybody else is about themselves, how, how, how much how there, how there's so much, um, lack of, of, of awareness. It's, it, and it's, it's very shocking really. Cause it's almost like you've been wearing, um, I don't know, screen colored glasses and then all of a sudden rose colored glasses and then they fall off and now you can see clearly and that's basically what comes with it. So also being able to deal with that reality, that, now you're awake. And a lot of people around you are not awake and just being able to live with that.
0: Mm, that's good. That takes a lot of self-confidence and just belief in oneself because, and there's also that tendency that you could be wrong and everybody else is right, but you also trust how you feel. I think that's very yeah. important. Your heart never lies to you. When you're trying to um, bend over backwards to please other people, there's always that feeling Like you resent them kind of, but you feel like you have to do it. If not, maybe you lose them or they're your parents or something like that. And there isn't that joy or peace that should come with doing those things normally because of that resentment. So I always feel like your body will speak to you. Your heart will tell you the truth and it's just left to you to listen. So then it's like now for an empath who's listening to us, a young empath who's listening, what are red flags that they should look out for when like, you know, interacting with people that could be like signs of them being manipulative or just being toxic or not good for their energy.
1: Yeah. Like the, the, I would say the, the key thing, there's so many things to look out for, but I would say the main thing across the board would be when you leave an interaction feeling depleted or feeling upset And you don't know why you're upset that's not a good interaction so being um more evolved on this journey i'm able to identify okay this is this thing that this person is doing that's not okay there are times when i slip up and i'm not really sure what's going on until after the fact and i look back You know, I introspect a lot. I look back and I'm like, oh, it's that thing that they said and the way they were coming off. That was not okay. That was so disrespectful, but I didn't see it in the moment. But again, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of, you know, um, self-awareness to come to that point. But for the earliest stages, the young empath who doesn't know, I would say the first thing is when you leave an interaction feeling uncomfortable, feeling less than because you should never be made to feel less than feeling any type of way that is not positive at all however um mild that feeling is or however you know however subtle that feeling is so long as it's there and it's a nagging sensation that something just doesn't sit right with you i would say that is a clear sign that you're being manipulated or you're being emotionally taken advantage of or just something is off somewhere so you should watch out for that interaction again in future. And if it repeats itself, then, you know, there's something with that person.
0: If you can't identify it, better to stay away. True, better to stay away. (laughs) So um, since you started setting boundaries with people and, you know, taking care of yourself a lot in terms of, I mean, emotionally, how has your mental health and your spiritual life or how have your mental health and spiritual life improved?
1: I would say it's definitely helped me, um, Build a relationship with myself, which is really important because the most important relationship you're gonna build is is the one you know you have with yourself. Before you can extend that to anybody else, if you can't sit with yourself, then you can't expect anybody else to sit with you. So it's definitely taught me to be okay in my own company. It's definitely helped me, um, you know, sort of look deeper, pray more. Um, just, you know, just kind of look within because, you know, there, there's that whole idea that, oh, you know, everything is as it seems and things like that. But no, like th- th- there's so much more to the world. There's just so much at play that we're not aware of. And um, even when you read books like The Buddha and the Badass or you read books um, like The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, all by the same author, he's basically going out there and like proving that, you um, science and religion don't necessarily have to be, you know, um, apart that they, they they, they do kind of connect. There is that intersectionality and he explains this a lot. And there's a lot of research done in this. And so it's just, it's again, another thing that, you know, really interests me. So I read a lot about these things about how, you know, science and, and, uh, just the world around us and, and, and even the things that like, you know, are our, our, our state of mind and, and, how we attract certain things to ourselves, how it all connects. And it's just really interesting because then you start to realize that, you know, um, life doesn't happen to us. We make life happen. It really, you know, we tend to think that, oh, it's just so it it is what it is. Oh, this person has good luck or that person has bad luck. No, we can make things happen. You just have to, to make a conscious effort to step up and say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Sometimes we look at people, we envy them and we think, oh, I wish I had that or I wish I had, you know, whatever opportunity that they have. But then if you were to go to their backstory and find out how they got from point A to point B, the question is going to be, are you willing to do all of what they did to get there? You know, so it's really, I would say it's definitely helped um, just, you know, build that relationship with myself, figure out what I want um, and, and and start sort of crafting the path that I would like to craft for
0: myself. Hmm. I like that. You sound very grounded and I've definitely spent time with you. I mean, before this interview So I really do like your energy and it's the sense of peace that you have with yourself. And I always tend to look out for that in people because I'm not trying to judge if people haven't achieved that peace or if they're going through a Mm -hmm. rough state in their lives. Mm -hmm. But usually you can tell the kind of relationship you have with them if they are at peace with themselves. Because you also feel kind of calm around them. Have you ever been around someone like so insecure that you yourself are trying to be like, what's going on? (laughs) because the energy was just all over the place and that's something that an empath will be able to pick up on so i definitely definitely look out for that in people and that's something i also tell my clients as well then um i know you've talked about i know you didn't speak about traveling but you travel a lot (laughs) and you've also talked about reading and meditating and being grounded do you have any other like self-care practices or techniques that just help you maintain a balanced emotional well-being
1: Meditation, prayer definitely are, I think, the key things for me. Um, and, and there's, again, through reading a lot of these books and, and things that I and listening to these, a lot of these podcasts by some of my favorite gurus like Vision, like um, Sad Guru, so many of these other interesting people, Marissa Peer, um, you know, you just learn, you learn so much more as well. Um, there's this other thing called the forgiveness meditation by um, I forget her name right now, but she's one of the one of the key people under Mind Valley as well. Emily Fletcher, there she is. Um, so you know, Mind Valley did like a whole research on the power of forgiveness, and they. You know, studied brain waves and how it interacts. You know how 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 the brain waves interact and all of that stuff when you're trying to forgive and versus when you're in a state of, um, I guess, unforgiveness. And it was just really interesting the stuff that they occurred. Your body really does change when you're holding a lot of. There's a lot of internal, you know, stuff for lack of better terms, without getting geeking out on all of this. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on internally when you're holding on to a lot of resentment, unforgiveness. There's just so much it's affecting your health, it's affecting, science is proving this. So I did that study. And it was interesting also to find that they um also the other side of the study was that they uh told the different um, participants to you know imagine something that upset them someone they couldn't forgive and then start trying to go through the act of forgiveness and then they measured the brain waves and it was just amazing you know what what they could see and how how um you know, there were different parts of the body that just, you know, internally it just was just improving biologically. And they were just fascinated by that. And I thought that that was amazing. And I believe that I'm like, yeah, the body can repair itself when you're in a positive state of, of being a positive mindset. And so it's, it's the next step was, okay, so how do you forgive? Like, you know, we're told forgive, forgive. It's good. Science is showing it helps you physiologically, biologically, all this stuff. But how do you actually do it? And so Emily Fletcher I came up with this meditation called the Forgiveness Meditation. You could Google it, you can find it, and download it. But it's something that I use every now and then. And it's really, really helpful. It just takes you through all the different steps on how to let go. Um, and uh, the uh, Mind Valley also has a meditation practice called the Six Phase Meditation, which Um, One one of the steps is forgiveness. And so it takes you through when you read the book, it explains all the different steps and it takes you through it. And so just a lot of these mindfulness practices, a lot of these different meditations that have been tried and tested um, by by different research studies. And you know that this works Um, and uh, just just putting that to practice, you know, that definitely has helped, I would say for sure.
0: That's really good. And what advice will you give to any born who's listening to you now, who is possibly just even aware of the fact that they're an empath and they're dealing with like toxic family or friends, um, toxic family members and friends? Like, what advice will you give to them as a first step that they can take on this journey to becoming more self aware and setting boundaries?
1: Well, I would say the first thing, which is gonna sound taboo is don't be afraid to walk away. Sound taboo because we live in this uh, society where you know we're supposed to we're supposed to deal with a lot of things just because of the relationship we have with people. Oh, it's a family member, family is family. You hear that a lot. Like family can commit atrocities and the response is, well, family is family, so deal with it. No. I refuse to believe that I don't care who the person is that's in your life. If they are posing, um, mental danger, emotional danger, I, I would say definitely put yourself first. If you can leave, leave, not out of spite or resentment, but really just because it's the best thing for you. Cause there are some people who, like I said, when you start to set those boundaries, it, it becomes like, a cry for i don't know a cry, like a war cry basically it's like okay now we're now we're we're going through this thing where we're going to be fighting all the time and it's it's so unnecessary no one should have to deal with that so if it's a situation where you know that and where you've tested it out and you see that that boundary setting is going to cause nothing but more issues for you then it's probably best to just like if you can leave leave if you can distance yourself distance yourself and only reach out every now and then for a limited amount of time. So just being aware of that. And um, another thing is sometimes people give you horrible advice, like the whole family is family, no matter what they do, and you have to deal with it. You would have friends who will say things like that and make you feel bad for standing up for yourself or for protecting yourself. And if you feel that you're surrounded by people who are... um, basically a hindrance to your self growth, then maybe it's time to change your friends. Maybe it's time to change people around you. You know, I've, I've gone through a lot of different changes and it's not easy because it is a process, but the important thing is that peace of mind that you get at the end of the day. And the truth is when you let go of a lot of the wrong people, toxic people, what have you you open up space for good people to come in. So, being able to identify, you know, what you want and what you don't want is key because when the wrong people are leaving, then you can identify, you can now filter in who's coming in. So, whereas before when you didn't have those boundaries, anybody would just walk in that door and, you know, you would just let them be because, you know, they chose me. But now that you have that boundary and you know what to look out for, you can vet people and see, is this someone that I want to spend my time with? Is this someone that I want around me? You know, how does this person make me feel? How do I impact them? How do they impact me and vice versa?
0: Mm, I love that answer. I love it so much. You shared some resources with us, like mind Valley and things you've used. Can you, do you mind just going over them again or a few that you like, um, well, can be beneficial to other empaths. And also, if you don't mind sharing your social media where people can find you.
1: Oh, M um, E Dot B. So E M I Dot B. Uh, um, I guess the other, I'm new to Instagram. So a lot of the stuff goes over my head. But the other name would be Priorities. So P R I O R and then E T I E Z. Um, and some of those resources, I would say Mind Valley is a really key resource because. It opens up so a lot of the authors that I've kind of like come to know of in that whole mindfulness space is they I've I found that they've all kind of been underneath Mind Valley. So I picked up a book called "I Am Enough" by Marissa Peer, and then I discovered that hey, she's under Mind Valley, and um, so many other interesting. Um, books that i would read or podcasts or you know just stuff that i'll find on youtube and 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 meditation practices and i'll look into the the um creator or the author and find oh you know they're associated with mind valley so i would say mind valley is like your one-stop shop to discover basically everything that you need to know about like this because it would link you to you'll learn about the different people underneath it the books that they've written the courses they have with the meditation practices that they, that they have. You can basically even just taking a name off of mind Valley and Googling it. Each person has like their own resource, their whole network of like interesting resources, whether it's books, they've written all this stuff, talks they've done. Um, uh, Yeah. So I would say mind Valley for sure is a a, a good place to start. And then the books written by Vishen Lakhiani, who's also the creator of mind Valley, the founder of mind Valley, Um, that that would be a good place to start because those books also reference a lot of really interesting research and a lot of people who have been mentioned in those books again have their own books and their own research and their own and it just you know it's like it's a tree with different branches it just keeps like connecting connecting it all connects so Mind Valley for sure will be your one-stop shop.
0: Mm. Thank you so much Nemi for agreeing to do this and I've learned a lot just by, you know, talking to you today, and I hope our listeners too have also learned so much. So thank you once again.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.